defined as the unlawful, premeditated killing of one human being by another. However, being charged and convicted of murder isn't always as simple as the definition. With that said, let's talk murder. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Let's Talk Murder with Diamond Kisan. Let's Talk Murder with Diamond Kisan is a crime-based podcast that takes an inside look at the crime from the side of the accused. In each episode, we go beyond the headlines and get up close and personal to the story via the words of the individual charged with the crime. On this episode of Let's Talk Murder, we explore the case of Preston Troop. Mr. Troop is from Louisville, Kentucky. Now, I'm going to... This case is back from 2009, so there's not too much as far as the headline is concerned, but I'm going to give you the little bit that I got. This comes from the Timberland 44 WordPress website and was posted on April 1st of 2015 and it reads as follows. In Louisville, Kentucky, at 9 p.m., a man named Stephen Meeks was shot down in his friend's apartment. The suspect, Preston Troop, aka Eric, shot Stephen Meeks due to a bad drug sale. The evidence that was used was a gun. Preston Troop, aka Eric, was sentenced to 15 years in prison for first-degree manslaughter. Now, let me give you the breakdown as far as what I do recall from the story. Allegedly, Preston Troop, a.k.a. Eric, was selling some drugs. His girlfriend dropped, was taking the drugs to Mr. Meeks. Um, in essence, she was the delivery person. Based on how the story was carried, the drugs were bad. It was a bad batch or something to that degree. So Mr. Meeks advised the girlfriend, like, hey, this is a bad batch. I want my money back. At that time, she called her boyfriend, Eric. And Eric allegedly came over and murdered Mr. Meeks. Now, it was later found out that Eric was the alias, allegedly, of Mr. Preston Troop. And Preston Troop was convicted. The formal conviction, um, the formal offense that he was convicted for, was manslaughter in the first degree. Crime date was 7-2-2009, and the conviction date was 12-19-2011. And Mr. Meeks was sentenced to 15, I'm sorry, Mr. Troop was sentenced to 15 years. Now, there was an appeal that was filed back in 2018, Preston Troop versus the Commonwealth of Kentucky. So let's talk about this appeal. Preston Troop appeals from an opinion and order of the Jefferson Circuit Court denying his pro se Kentucky Rules of Criminal Procedure, motion to vacate, set aside, or correct sentence. Troop argues that the trial court abused its discretion and denied him due process of law when it's summarily overruled his motion as being untimely for the reasons stated below and as the commonwealth agrees that the trial court erred in finding that troops motion was untimely we reverse the order on appeal and remand the matter for further proceedings he got what he wanted on december 19th 2011 the Jefferson Circuit Court rendered a judgment of conviction and sentence arising from Troop's guilty plea on multiple criminal charges. On December 12, 2014, Troop filed a pro se 11.42 motion in memorandum alleging that, alleging that he did not receive effective assistance of counsel on the underlying charges. The Commonwealth acknowledged receipt of the motion on the same day. On May 22, 2017, the Jefferson Circuit Court rendered an opinion and order denying Troop's motion. In support of the order, the court determined that the defendant's motion is beyond the three-year deadline and should be denied as untimely. This appeal followed. Troop 
now argues that the Jefferson Circuit Court erred in denying his 11.42 motion is untimely. He directs our attention to RCR 11.4210, which provides that any motion under this rule shall be filed within three years after the judgment becomes final. Troop notes that the earliest date upon which the judgment could have become final is December 19, 2011, when the judgment was signed by the judge and entered by the clerk. Troop asserts that his motion was tendered two years, 11 months, and 23 days after his conviction or within the three-year period set out in the rule. In response, the Commonwealth agrees with Troop's contention and acknowledges that the motion was improperly denied. The Circuit Court's findings regarding claims of ineffective assistance of counsel are mixed questions of law and fact and are reviewed de novo, Brown v. Commonwealth. In reviewing de novo the matter before us, we conclude that Troop filed his RCR motion within three years of the judgment conformity with the RCR 11.4210, the Jefferson Circuit Court erred in failing to so find. For the foregoing reasons, we reverse the order of the Jefferson Circuit Court and remand this matter for further proceedings. All concur for appellant. So, Mr. Troop filed an appeal. It was denied, and the reason was that it was allegedly not filed in a timely manner. They are stating it was done after the three-year time frame. However, upon the appeal of the appeal, it was overturned in that it actually was done in a timely manner because it was two years, 11 months, and 23 days, which is within the three-year time period. Now, clearly, at this moment, Mr. Troop is still sitting incarcerated, serving the 15-year sentence, so don't quite know what happened with the appeal, but I'll find out for you all. But I got a chance to reach out to Mr. Troop to get his story in his words based on what took place back in 2009. And with that said, let's talk murder. Dear DK, First off, I want to thank you for the opportunity to tell my side of the truth of my story. So often do our voices go unheard, most times drowned out by the noise of a biased society, and we're so used to it, so preconditioned, that we ourselves contribute to the problem by going with the flow set by those in power and with power. That we take the power away from ourselves because we get in the mind frame of why bother, why fight, why speak, why listen, my former self included. But that in itself is another story for another day and on another time. Keeping on track with the task at hand and my current situation, from what it was to what it is and a few questions that you asked. July 2nd, 2009. What I remember most about the morning, the morning of the crime, and what I had planned for that day overall, it was a day like any other day for a brother in the streets. The only difference with my situation at the time was that I was on the run for a parole violation. Dirty urines and open drug in dope cases. The product of dealing with project homes, courtyards, cell phones, and buildings mixed with drama from baby mama and lady friends. So my day basically consisted of get up, get chopped down, clean up, roll up, roll out with the phone on grind mode. Slide down to the south side, Fort Haven, an apartment complex out the way, 
and post with the dogs and wait for the cash to hit me from down in the section. The section was a part of the south side, from Taylor through Newcut to Outer Loop. So as always, the plan is, the mission is the goal, which is to get as much money as possible, stay as low as possible, tell everyone I love I love you, because tomorrow might not never come in the life. What set everything off balance and made it different was dealing with the situation that led up to the incident and rearranged my state of mind at the time. That whole situation and how it played out was messed up and foul, and that's putting it lightly. I say that because it's always the people you love the most, those you're willing to sacrifice the most for, that will be the ones to cross you in the end. And in the end, you will have to, you will be forced to turn yourself inside out and expose what your ingredients are, what you're really made of. Law states that anything can go wrong, anything that can go wrong will go wrong, or anything that can happen will happen, eventually. What I mean by that is, contrary to popular belief, I am not Eric. He was a really good friend of mine. One of my best friends, and I will never say exactly who he is, regardless of the situation. What the situation is, or how it played out, it is what it is. And there are worse lives to live than prison. What I can say and will say, he was foul, and so was Candy. And sooner or later, everyone has to face the responsibility of the choices that they've made. Before the incident transpired that day, there were days I would get calls from my people's and my customers about my bags coming up short and product missing. Them saying that candy wasn't right like she might be using. In most cases, it takes one to no one. But I was fucked up about this girl and listening to my heart and small head and throwing my gut feelings to the side. At the time, candy was running dope for me and she was good at it. Plus, she was white so she could move and the cops never pull her over or question her. And remember, I'm on the run at the time, so I needed something constant and reliable. In Louisville, cops almost never fuck with white people, especially white girls. That's especially the case in the, the South Side. Anyhow, I get a ring for some paper, and I sent her on a run to one of my spots in the sections I was sharing with my ace. But come to find out, that wasn't the only thing we shared at the time. So I sent her on a call, and when she gets there, the guy, Meeks, he's the one that died. He robs her for the dope. Then on top of that, he pats her down for the money, pushes her in a chair, and reaches in her bra under her titty and takes all the money. And he won't let her leave until me or Eric comes to bring more dope to him because he didn't like the last batch or some real bully shit at this spot they were there drunk and high as a kite and had been going for almost a straight 24 remember anything that can happen will happen that's what they should have named the first 48 episode murphy's law anyhow Candy calls my phone crying, hysterical, and scared out of her mind, and told me what happened. My mind's racing like NASCAR, like, damn, what the fuck? So me and Eric roll out together. We do everything together. Come to find out, we actually did do everything together. For real, for real. So we get over there, and as soon as we open the door, she runs out. The police say she was a witness, but she wasn't even there. She just heard shots. Meeks, the guy who got killed... 
calls us to the back room. And the guy's talking to us, and he's high and drunk as fuck, smelling like straight liquor and crack smoke and cigarettes. We get to the back room, and he closes the door and pulls out a big-ass knife on me and my dude. We tried to warn him. As a matter of fact, we did warn him. But he wasn't trying to hear none of that. But what he was trying to do was rob us too. We told him, don't. But he took a step towards us, swinging and jabbing the knife. We pulled out our guns, thinking he would think better of his actions. But he wasn't trying to see that either. The only thing that goes on in my mind, the only thing that goes on in the mind of a junkie is the fix. By any means necessary. He swung again. And the pistols were aimed. He swung again and a pistol got fired. It didn't matter who fired it. It only mattered who did the time for it. Damn. When everything was said and done. And the smoke cleared, so to speak. I found that my best friend was fucking my girl. And my girl was getting high. So I put her out of my house. At the time, Eric had a wife, so she couldn't stay with him. So now she was caught between a rock and a hard spot. Feeling the pressure because it was me that took her in, got her out of an abusive relationship, provided food, shelter, and clothing, and gave her a job tax-free. This is how crazy shit gets when it all hit the fan. It's about 10 o'clock at night or sometime after. I'm at one of my spots down the street from my house, and at the time, I'm high as a kite off the tabs, the loud, the coke, plus I have been drinking for some while. My day's over, so I'm unwinding, and I get a call from, guess who? Candy. She wants to know where I'm at so we can talk. She knows she messed up. She's sorry. She needs a job bad and wants to work. And I ain't gonna lie, I needed her because, like I said, I was on the run. And now Eric, lightweight, on a run too and can't show his face because they got his name, description, and where he be at. So all I got is me. Plus, this chick got a hella... Hellified shot on her in in her head game is reckless. But knowing the type and remembering who I'm dealing with, I know only to expose what I want out there. And I ain't going to never tell nobody my exact whereabouts. I'm going to tell them where I can be, where I can be, and let them think that's where I am. So I tell her I'm outside the strip club on 7th Street. And it just hit me when she's close and we can talk over a few drinks. I hang the phone up, and I be damned. I bullshit you not. Not five minutes later, she's pulling up and getting dropped off at my house. Go to the door and pulls out a, a set of keys, spare keys. She must have had tunnel vision because her spider senses ain't kicking. Knowing I'm watching every move from down the street. So I'm down here watching all this unfold high as a as a cootie bird, tripping off what I'm seeing. So when she gets inside, I walk down to the house. When I go in and she sees me, she's surprised because I caught her breaking into my house. I'm right there standing in front of her and she's watching me watching her. And it's like a Mexican standoff, a Mexican standoff staring contest. And this woman has these huge black trash bags in both arms with my clothes, shoes, Money. TV. Dope. Damn. The girl was so messed up, she was even trying to steal my food seasoning and frozen foods from out the freezer. 
I guess her instincts kicked in and she runs. So my adrenaline kicks in and I run after her. And when I caught her, it was all bad. That's one thing I wish I could take back. Because my mama taught me better than that. And that's why on the first 48 episode of Minds, she has on that neck brace. Well, she wore it partly for that reason and for for the in part for theatrics and acting to play a role. She was so scared that she had to find a way to get rid of me for as long as possible. In any way possible. They say two heads is better than one. And I know she had help thinking this up. The police didn't know what Eric looked like. As a matter of fact, they was thinking for a minute it was one of her old boyfriends named Eric. But they knew she was dealing in messing around with she was dealing in messing around with an Eric, and in the same breath, they knew she was involved with me, cause she was pulled over in my infinity. So to get me hit and out the way, she says that I'm Eric and Gives him some breathing room. After so long, it came out what they had done. And my partners find out what had happened and what's going on. And Candy and Eric start feeling the pressure. So they concocted another lie about another one of my best friends. And got him indicted and locked up on some trumped up charges for kidnapping a witness. Tampering with a legal process and some other bogus shit. Plus, he was on papers, so he's jammed up on a parole violation and facing life sentencing charges. And to top it off, I get indicted for the same. Candy was so bogus. She said she was kidnapped at gunpoint by my dude with a machine gun, and he threw her in the SUV and took her to one of my houses for a few days. And when he left, she managed to escape barefooted in the west end of Louisville. She gets on the talk and rolled to Cardo's hospital and the police went for it. It don't even sound right because you can't ride the talk barefooted at all. You escaped from a kidnapping and then waited for a talk bus and the talk that came just so happened to take you to Cardo's. You didn't tell the bus driver you was kidnapped and needed the police and you're going to have to take two buses from the West End to get to that hospital? Prime example of white privilege. When my friend got hit because of someone I brought around, that hurt me. That hurt me most all out of everything. And that was the reason I took my prison time instead of taking my chances fighting at trial. That was the main reason. His wife was like my family. His kids were loved like my blood. And his Baby mamas were a part of us. It was my fault he was away from them. And it was my responsibility to get him back home. One of my best friends was in the penitentiary because of someone I brought around. Someone they told me wasn't any good in the first place. But they accepted her and them because of me. Even if I went to trial and won, I still would have lost in my eyes. Because trials take years. Especially trials of this nature. And for years, he would have been in prison fighting because of me. Friendships are built off trust and bonds, love and loyalty. And I hold these honors close to best. So I took 15 years, 85% plus 3 years at 20% for manslaughter and robbery. A few minor things to free my dog. I love you, Lottie. 
Shout out to my peoples in the free world. I'll be home in a minute. <laughs> Two minutes, to be exact. Anyhow, as I stated, I took my time, a plea deal of a total of 20 years, but not day for day, so no trial. There was really no evidence against me. Only 400 years of knowing how to play to win against my 26 at the time. No gun, no bullets, no prints, no witnesses to point me out. They even showed my picture in a photo lineup several times, and several times I was overlooked. A cell phone number not registered to me with the wrong address. Nothing but candy saying she was there and it was me who was Eric. But that's all they needed. I had a paid lawyer, two of them, because it was a capital murder case. And with capital murder cases in Louisville, Kentucky, you have to have two lawyers. Casey McCall and Scott Drabenstadt, two of the best. But maybe that was part of the 400-year game also. Because now, for the past several years, Mr. Drabenstadt has been a state, state prosecutor attorney for Louisville, Kentucky. The best I could hope for was for the best deal is what the situation was and how they explained it to me. White victim, white girl for a witness who's been injured, a jury of what will be white soccer moms and you have a criminal history. Do you watch football? Well, where the Florida Gators are Kentucky and they're Alabama. That was all the evidence they needed. Well, that and the fact that I was already prosecuted, judged, and deemed to appear guilty to the public through the eyes of the media from that first 48 episode. They aired without my consent. When you get arrested and are about to, um, are about to get booked, they ask you if you want to sign a waiver to consent to use your interview, and I denied, and they still did it. On top of that, they took what was about two to three hours of interrogation and edited it for the pro section into what would be a 30-minute segment. And to make things worse, the lead detective was close and personal friends with the victim and his family, to the extent of playing softball with them on his off days, which was a clear and obvious conflict of interest, and still wouldn't step aside for a fair investigation. But that didn't matter either. At the end of the day, yeah... I did get a good deal, or at least I think so. Especially since most people get in 25 years up to life in prison. When it's a black man involved that was supposed to have killed a white man. Especially in Louisville. And especially in Kentucky. I still have my life, or at least a nice bit of it left. If I choose to use it productively. My health, my good looks, and my integrity intact. You asked how my life has been since being incarcerated and how this situation has changed me as a person. Well, I believe that everything happens for a reason, beyond its surface and face value. And sometimes we pay later the price of things we did before. When I was in the mix, I ruined a lot of lives and contributed to the destruction of my neighborhood, my society, my people. And it was merit in my life without me seeing it. If you tell a lie long enough, you start to believe it yourself. And when you're standing in the middle of a forest, it's hard to see because of the trees. I had to take a step back and see it from afar and from a different angle. The angle was prison. For over a decade, standing still with the world moving on around me. 
I've learned to turn negatives into positives, see my glass half full in an optimistic way. So my life has been what my life was worth, undervalued. But God works in mysterious ways. I found that out the hard way. And what God has been working on as only part of his grand scheme is showing me the true value of self-appreciation and self-worth. How important it is to put family first over everything and how much love really hurts. Since being incarcerated, I've received degrees and certificates in electrical, residential, and commercial, auto body collision and repair, carpentry, horticulture. I've studied finance, business, business management, accounting, money management, marketing, business planning, and real estate, and have structured five different plans with two more on the way, God willing, plus a nonprofit for kids and a plan to bring these plans into view impossible. I think my life was moving too fast out there for me to take my time and see what I needed. Prison gave me an opportunity to prepare myself for a journey worth traveling and a destination worth passing to my children and theirs. I believe prison and me being gone has affected my family more than it has me for the most part. I have three beautiful children by two different women. The first woman held it down as best she could, but she almost went went nuts without me there. But I had to tip my hat to her because she's a superwoman. She still managed to raise two children solo while working. And our babies are both still breathing and winning, with one in college and the other working. My other child's, my other child's mother took me being gone pretty hard and held her hands up to life and got married to an abusive man that led her to neglect her children and lose them all to CPS. Without a fight, got got messed up on them drugs and couldn't see past her last high. But all that shows me that my life isn't just my life. My struggle isn't only my struggle. My pain hurts more than just me. It makes me look at the effects of drugs and what they cost us firsthand. I can no longer turn a blind eye to the pain I've caused because it's right in my face. Even though my youngest was taken, we still stay in contact and are very close. Even though I have to constantly battle with the courts to be a part of her life from behind bars, the battle's worth it. And the two oldest have allowed me to be present in their lives and show an effort to co-parent from behind bars. And I'm blessed for that opportunity. Our family is a work in progress, but anything worth having is worth working towards. And lastly, in your questions, you had asked me if I was still friends with Candy. And if I could say anything to the general public, what would it be? Well, when it comes to Candy... Are we still friends is a funny question, but the answer is no. Once you pick a side, you have to stay on it. But I'm not her enemy. It just is what it is. I think she did what she thought she had to do to survive. I'm not mad, just disappointed. But everything that happened had to happen to lead me to the place and state of mind I'm currently at. All praise to God. God is great. Well, I wish her the best. And to the general public... Learn to see things for what they are, not what you want them to be. Because love and loyalty costs. The question is, what is it worth to you? Thank you for listening. God bless. Ooh, what?
wow, 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 wow. Mr. Troop laid it the fuck down. Do you hear me? That is how you talk murder. That is how you tell a story. That is how you give the fundamental essence of what happened so that I can be able to deliver a conversation. Wow. I am in awe of the words that Mr. Troop put on that paper. Y'all know we got to talk about it, right? So get ready. Now... Now, listen, you all know me, right? Y'all know time and time again, we have this conversation of loyalty. Loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. So, Mr. Troop said, hey, I did what I did because somebody close to me who I love got caught up because of somebody I bought into their life. So, I had to do what I had to do. Damn. Shout out to Mr. Troop in being a true representation of loyalty because shit. Who child? That's a hard pill to swallow. So understand, Mr. True told us a few things, all right? He told us that not only was he dealing with a system of injustice in the justice system, he was dealing with some racism. He was dealing with some preconceived notations, as well as, and you all know we have this conversation, he didn't go to trial because he knew he wouldn't get a jury of his peers. Now, listen, you all, let's get... <sighs> listen, you all know I go through this. The phrase, a jury of the peers, dates back to the signing of the Magna Carta in England. At that point, the provision ensured that members of the nobility were tried by a jury comprised of fellow nobles rather than being judged by the king. So here we go. Let's take it to Mr. Troop, 2009... Louisville, Kentucky. 2009, Louisville, Kentucky. Let me paint you a picture. Now, according to some research I did, just some quick, you know, quick Googling, just doing a little something, right? According to the historical nominal median household income for Louisville, in 2009, the median household income for the United States was $50,221. The median household income for Louisville was $46,786. Not a big difference, you would think, right? A couple thousand dollars. Okay, cool. Like, that happens. Upon doing some further research, you get these videos that pop up about Louisville, Kentucky, Southside, the worst hoods at night. And you're like, wait, what? And then one blurb I read said, and I quote, listen to this. Louisville Southside neighborhoods border the Louisville International Airport and are considered to be lower middle class for the most part. You won't find many affluent neighborhoods down this way as it's more so a blue collar area. Good area to buy a home in if you want cheap, but you'll get what you pay for as you'll also get below average schools and other services. Wow. Wow. Now, according to Nish.com, the Southside neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky, this is the blurb that's posted. Southside is a neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky with a population of 5,661. Southside is in Jefferson County. Living in Southside offers residents a dense suburban feel, and most residents rent their homes. In Southside, there are a lot of parks. Many families live in Southside, and residents tend to be liberal. The medium home value, 
Keep in mind, the median home value is $1,115 compared to the national median of $229. Get into that, right? The median rent is $777. Now listen. <laughs> Mr. Troop gave us a breakdown on what the South Side is, right? In we get it. That's, that's what it is. Now, based on what niche.com has reported, let's talk crime and safety. For the Southside area, the assault count was 1,147.2. The murder count was 37.3. The robbery count was 307.8. Let's do it side by side. For violent crimes for the nation... 282.7. Louisville had 1,147.2. Their burglary is 503.6. Now keep in mind, this is calculated annually per 100,000 residents. Considering the South Side only at this time had 5,661, 5, God damn, this area is through the roof. Now based on the violence and the property crime rates, it was graded a C-. But based on these numbers, for only 5,000 people, child, this is about a whole F at this goddamn point, right? But, I said that to say this. So, knowing where Mr. Preston is coming from, understanding where this crime took place, and then getting into what he said is what he was up against. A white man killed by a black man with a white female as the alleged witness to the crime, pointing him out, saying he was Eric. Mmm. A jury of his peers. So do y'all think, do y'all really think, are we to conclude that they were going to go to the South Side? Because again, jury of your peers doesn't have to be the same race, but it's supposed to be the same socioeconomic class. With that, being that Mr. Preston's from the South Side, you think they were going to have a jury of 12 from the South Side? You think they were going to pick all 12 from that 5,661? I highly doubt it. So, to avoid that, Mr. Preston took a plea deal. Now, he, he, he got a deal where, I mean, the numbers, the numbers don't lie. They're not horrible. He got 15 for one, 5 for the other, 20 in total. I mean, you know, but let's again, this loyalty shit. So, Mr. Preston is sitting because of the loyalty. So, I get it, right? But now, loyalty versus freedom. That's a, that's a conversation I'll never be able to fully gather. And I'm fine with that. I, I just, I'll, I'll just take it as it is and say, I don't all the way get it, but okay. I, I understand it's one of those cold of the streets kind of matters. Now, when it comes to reasonable doubt, I wonder, if he would have went to trial, do you think there could have been some reasonable doubt? I mean, we found out Candy sleeping with his homeboy, Eric, right? So Candy sleeping with Eric and she's doing drugs. Now, would, would she have been a credible witness? That comes into question. So based upon that, could reasonable doubt have come? We know the, the mens rea, the intent, is the murder itself. And then, well, actually, I'm sorry, let me, let me take that back. The actus reus, the guilty act, is the murder itself. Now, the mens rea, the intent, here's where it gets sticky. Because, in theory, if the individual who was killed had a knife and was coming at... Mr. Preston and Eric, then do we not argue self-defense? Do we not approach from a self-defense standpoint? So now you have to start to weigh it out, right? Do you go to court and say, okay, it's not murder. 
because murder is the unlawful premeditated killing of one human being by another. This doesn't sound like it was premeditated. It sounds like it was a in the heat of the moment kind of crime, right? So then voluntary manslaughter comes up. Voluntary manslaughter is a form of homicide that occurs without premeditation, deliberation, or malice afterthought. Okay. All right. So, okay. So we get this. Okay. So we get this. So, boom. We're up against the manslaughter charge, right? This is what we're up against. He got convicted of manslaughter in the first degree. This is what it is. Like, okay. So, boom. Manslaughter in the first degree. Now, based on that, fucking Tucky. While this may be confusing, manslaughter and killing are two different things. Manslaughter is when you intentionally kill a person while doing something considered reckless. Hmm. So now, is it being positioned that what I would maybe call self-defense is now being called reckless because you had a gun against the knife? Well, actually, you had two guns because Mr. Preston um, said he had one and then Eric had one because the guns came out, right? So, you have the guns against the knife. So, it's reckless, you know, um, it's, so now it's, it's first degree manslaughter because you unintentionally killed a person while doing something considered reckless. Okay, so now you're talking, you know, tomato, tomato, all right, it happened. But I wonder, during the discovery process, because Mr. Preston said the evidence really wasn't there. There was no fingerprints, no physical evidence, you know. So I'm I'm like, "Mm, so what are you really up against? This comes down to a matter of he said, she said. Candy said he did it. He's saying he didn't, but she's ready to go under oath and say he did and that she's seen it. But he just told us that. When the door opened, she ran out, and she didn't see nothing. Oh, shit. Wait. Hold up. Then, come to find out, Candy, on some setup shit, she called him, like, where you at, just to find out, just to confirm he's not home, so she could go rob the house. What the? Yo, this cannot be made up. Like, some shit you just can't make up. This shit is real. This shit didn't happen. Mr. Preston has lived through it in 2009. Now... As we sit here in 2022, Mr. Preston has told us his story, and this shit hits deep. So, we know the guilty act. We know it's manslaughter in the first degree. Now the question comes, was it justice? Was it justice, or did Mr. Preston become backed into a corner That he had to ask himself, is the system going to do right by me? Will my attorneys do right by me? Will the prosecution do right by the state in the state's evidence? Will the jury of my peers actually be a jury of my peers? Or, or do I cut all fucking ties and I just plea out? I get this time, I do my time, and I have a chance to go home and still live a life. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like this wasn't a question of who did it, why, or how. It sounds like, as Mr. Preston said, he was already deemed guilty. So it's not a fight to prove his innocence. It's a fight to save his life. And in the fight to save his life... He did some calculated calculating. That math was mathing, okay? And as that math was mathing, 
Mr. Preston realized I need to do what I need to do for myself and my family, and that's be home. So the best chances of me being home, plea deal. Now hold on, y'all. Now wait a minute, let me put some pimping in it. Come to find out, one of Mr. Preston's attorneys now a prosecutor? Mm-hmm, baby boy, okay? Now again, that's not uncommon. It happens a lot. A lot of attorneys become prosecutors. It's just like, well, damn, this is just, damn, to just add more to the story. Shit, this element just, boom, pops out of nowhere. Oh, there's so much going on, you all. I need y'all's opinion. What do y'all think? What do y'all think about Candy and the role that Candy played? Because I get it. The mind of an addict isn't the mind of a normal person. Because an addict is thinking like an addict. Like he said, they're thinking about the next hit, the last hit, or the hit that they're currently on, right? The mind isn't minding like that of a normal person. Eric then went hiding. He missing. Candy ready to risk it all. But Eric and blaming on Mr. Preston. I'm just, oh, listen. This is sex, money, and drugs at its finest. And Mr. Preston already said she had that ooh-wee and that head game was Okay, Kenzie, I'll see you, Kenzie. However, in reality, Mr. Preston has owned up that the red flags were there, and he chose to ignore the red flags and ignore his gut feeling and made the decisions that he made. And based upon the decisions that he made with involving this individual in his life on a continual basis, he is where he is. That's fucking crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy to think that someone you would be willing to give the opportunity to be a part of your life and look past all their shortcomings will screw you over in the end. It's crazy to sit back and say to yourself, someone I trusted and thought would do right by me sold me out and did me the wrongest. That wrong was wronging. Do you hear me? And then on top of that, you have to come to the realization, what the fuck do you think it felt like the part on your boy was fucking your girl? What? So, you my man a hundred grand. You know, we in the trenches together. We in these streets together. We're doing what we do together. And then come to find out we are literally doing who we do together and not even on purpose oh my gosh what mr preston to you as you do your time and you live by the code of the streets and you hold it down and you prove that loyalty is still a thing damn your story just literally sent chills through my body because To hear it from your perspective, in your words, and receive the breakdown that you gave us from before to during to after. To understand that based on what I just read, y'all hear me now, what I just read, we're not talking justice, we're not talking injustice, we're talking bullshit, right? We're talking a fight for your life. We're talking up against the wall. Which door do you open? The door of a trial and risk a jury not of your peers? Like he said, soccer mom. Listen, you know soccer mom throw a book at him. We already know this. Then you get hit with life. Like, well, goddamn. So he took 20. So Mr. Preston, as you sit into 20 and you give all praises to God because you've grown As a man, you've grown. As a person, you've grown. As a father, you've grown. As a child, you've grown. As a brother, you've grown. You've grown. 
you understand and you have proven to some that prison reform and being able to rehabilitate an inmate may actually be possible. Because you don't sound angry, you don't sound bitter, you sound like you understand that God had a plan and that this thing that happened, though it's not good, it hasn't been horrible. You, you know, you said that, like, you know, life could be worse than just being in prison. So when life gave you prison, you wrote it. Degrees, certificates, business plans, plans to open up nonprofits. The development of you is something that has taken precedence during your time of being incarcerated. And that is commendable. Now listen. If Eric is out there and he's listening, damn E, you let your boy sit like that, E. Mm. And for Candy, wow. Wow, wow, wow. But, you know, people who are not in their right mind don't always make the best decisions. And that's something that is true and that is real reality. So before I close, I'm going to ask you all this. What do you think? Based on what Mr. Preston detailed for us, based on the fact that he chose to take a plea deal and not go to trial, based on the fact that we found out that Candy sleeping with his best friend, the best friend was there, two guns came out but only one did the shot, but we don't know who, there may not be no real evidence as to exactly who, but he took the hit because a friend was sitting. I mean, all these moving parts come together. And when you put it all together, what do you get? I want to know. Do you think he would have gotten a jury of his peers? Do you agree with the math that was mathing that helped him to decide to go with the plea deal and end up with 20? Or would you, would you have tried to go to trial? Now, again, we ain't talking good life, you know, <laughs> privilege. We're talking south side of Louisville, Kentucky. We're talking the trenches. We're talking out there. We're talking a man with a record that we know they were going to use against him. We're talking a man with a record that we know they were going to bring up every chance they had. We're talking a man with a record who was on probation when this happened, who had some violations already. So they was ready to paint a picture of a career criminal. So they were going to wrap it up in a bow and say, look... Based on the history, this is believable. Look who's sitting here telling us. The one that you are going to believe. Because the jury of his peers would have ended up looking more like her than they did him. Based on what he calculated. As such, Preston Troop just let us and helped us talk murder. I want to know what you think. Tap in on Twitter at Let's Talk Murder, Instagram and Facebook at LTMWDK. On Twitter, that's Let's Talk Murder, Instagram and Facebook, LTMWDK. I'm Diamond Kisan, and we've just talked murder. Until next time, stay safe and never be afraid to talk murder. This is a Diamond Kisan production.